This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. Trip Tracy and John Forsland are a staple on television for the Carolina Hurricanes on Fox Sports Carolinas. At one point, Trip will have a Twitter account, but at this point it's still uh, at uh, at Canes on, <laughs> on FSCR. Uh, but he joins us here on the Canes Corner Podcast. You were a 1993 ninth-round pick by the Flyers, one spot ahead of Mike Greer, nine <laughs> spots ahead of Pavel Dimitra. I think I remind you of that every time we talk. <laughs> yeah, I hope it cost uh, those general managers. Obviously, God rest Pavel Dimitra's soul. But, uh, yeah, I think the Flyers could have gotten much better value from that late-round selection. Well, they blew it on many fronts. You could be uh, you could be doing games for the Flyers. I've told you this before. I think you and John are the best, uh, the best team going in the NHL. I've watched a lot of NHL broadcasts, a lot of local broadcasts. There's nothing better, uh, or as John likes to say, none better than, uh, than you and John Forslund. I want to talk about a bunch of things. Um, in whatever time that we have. So I want to start, even though I've already done a morning after podcast about the the loss in Boston, to me it was kind of micro uh, in microcosm, stuff that has plagued Carolina really over the last, the, I think, the entire month of November. Uh, that there are pockets of good, and I thought in Boston, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, I thought for 55 minutes and 45 seconds they played the perfect road game. Simple, boring, fine. Had some chances, didn't capitalize on it, but they were in position to take that game into overtime and get a point because they really bottled Boston up. Uh, and then the one mistake, which is indicative of what happened against like the Devils or against um, the, the Flyers, maybe both times against the Flyers. Is that how you see it, or am I looking at it too narrowly? No, I would, uh, I would concur, A.G., with, uh, with everything that you just said. Um, and in particular last night, it's a, it's a stinging defeat because um, in, in our pregame show and, and, and then uh, at the beginning of the simulcast, um, you know, both Rod Brindamore and Sebastian Ajo, when asked if it was just an ordinary game or if it was a game that had added importance to the Hurricanes, they both said that it did have added importance based on what happened last year and how good the Boston Bruins have been uh, at the quarter pole of this season. Um, and I love the way the Hurricanes played for those uh, just about uh, 56 minutes uh, before Coyle scored. I guess the only thing I would say, and this is being nitpicky, uh, is that the A power play unit uh, that has had the majority of the conversions this season uh, had two cracks at it uh, in the first period and right at the beginning of the second. And that group that has been the better of the two didn't have anything going. Uh, but that's being nitpicky. Everything mm-hmm. else through those first 56 minutes was uh, outstanding in a measuring stick game. Chip Tracy is with us here uh, on the Canes Corner podcast. Um, how I don't know if there's any. I mean, I think. Well, maybe the answer is in net. So we'll go. Uh, we'll move there. Uh, Peter Morazic has been fine. He hasn't been great. Actually, I don't see many differences between uh, the October and November of this season and the October and November of Peter Morazic last season. 
uh, where he was hovering around these same numbers. James Reimer's played really well of late. But how do you look at the Hurricanes' goaltending situation through two months of the season this year versus what it was last year? Very good question. Um, First of all, when I think about Peter specifically uh, at this point last year versus this year, I thought the first couple months of the season last year, he was playing really well, really well, and not getting the result with regards to wins. Uh, so the most important statistic is uh, thus far he's had a, a, you know, a good two months with regards to acquiring wins. Uh, I think that there are still a couple things in his game that I'm looking for that uh, – that need to be there consistently to make that walk to being a number one goaltender, and in particular shots from a distance. Um, that's the one area that uh, um, that that I think is is one that Peter can improve upon. Uh, but he has been able to to be a guy that uh, has is among the league leaders in wins. These two games beginning uh, tomorrow against San Jose and then Minnesota before a tough Western uh, Canadian and then uh, finishing in Denver road trip. Uh, These two home games are very, very important and specifically for him because Mm -hmm. um, I thought there was a good chance that, that Rod, even though Reimer played so well in Tampa on Saturday, that Rod would play Peter Morozik just in a game like that in Boston uh, you know, going with your number one guy, because if, if you're going to take another step beyond what the Hurricanes did last year, there's a very good chance you're going to have to go through Boston. And so Peter's going to have to exercise those demons and play well in that building. Um, but I understand, you know, the way Rod thinks, and he just wanted to reward James Reimer. That being said, for the first time this season, Reimer's had two consecutive starts. So this is a big game for Rod or for uh, Peter tomorrow against uh, the San Jose Sharks, uh, again, to make a statement that I am a number one goaltender and then start to roll with it from there. It's a challenge for him because uh, there have been a lot of games uh, that he hasn't seen a ton of shots, and the guy at the other end, whoever it may be, has seen a lot of quantity. And that's challenging for a goalie, Adam, Mm -hmm. when you don't see a lot of shots and then you have to make saves when the game is on the line, whatever that may be in the chronology of a game. Uh, that's something that I think he's improved upon. That's still something that uh, that I think he can take more steps uh, at being um, more elite uh, in that category. But that is that's very very difficult for any goaltender. Um, the goaltending at this point last year beyond Peter Morazic because he's the common thread in both years. Uh, Scott Darling um, mm-hmm. was part of this conversation up until about this point last year. Um, so that's worth mentioning, and we know you know how poorly that went. Right. Um, and, and and Curtis McElhaney, uh, you know, the, he, he had already uh, been a heck of a you know a story here in Carolina. Um, so at this point, I would say because just coming on the heels of that game that you accurately surmised last night in Boston, because when it comes to a lot of things, and in particular tandems in goal, the Boston Bruins are absolutely the model. Yeah. Uh, when you look at Rask and Halak. So where are the Hurricanes at with regards to that? Peter Morazic has not proven to be a vintage number one, like, of course, Tuka Rask has been for a variety of years. And James Reimer is certainly taking steps to giving you consistent, I'm going to give the team a chance to win and win backup goaltending. But I think you and I would both agree the Hurricanes still have some room to improve Mm -hmm. in both of those dimensions 
to start, uh, you know, trying to be comparable to the ultimate model, because I do think Rask and Halak are the ultimate model of the modern-day tandem of needing two goaltenders and having two really good ones in the modern-day NHL. Yeah, the interesting thing about what uh, Boston is now with uh, Rask and Halak is that last year about this time, I mean, Halak was actually outperforming Rask uh, and was playing a lot. They were almost sharing the net. And I guess the whole point was to make sure that Rask was healthy and rested and fresh for a postseason run. And we all know what happened uh, in the postseason. He was outstanding, uh, especially in the Hurricane Series, because I think Rask really was the difference in that, that and the power play for Boston. Um, so, you know, but now this year, Rask is playing at uh, an unworldly, un, you know, otherworldly level at this point. I mean, his his numbers so far this year are great, and Halak is a, a classic guy who can be a starter in many situations. Maybe not play fifty five times, uh, but he could play forty five or so games because he's been that good before. That's almost a, a difficult standard to hold Carolina to. But I want to ask uh, this about Alex Nedeljkovic. Because he had an amazing uh, run last year uh, in winning a Calder Cup. And, like, we didn't get a chance to see him play a lot of games, but we all watched training camp. He looked really good in training camp. Did they did they run the risk of kind of stunting his growth by not giving him NHL time? AG, you've always asked the good questions, and... When I pause and groan for a second, it means that it's another good one because um, I'm, I'm pondering it. Uh, this, this year is going to challenge Alex Nedeljkovic, who's made a believer out of me. And I'm going to first say why he's made a believer out of me, because as, as you mentioned, my draft accord in the ninth <laughs> round uh, way back when by the Flyers I'm obviously a guy that's still waiting for the growth spurt that never happened. <laughs> so you would think, <laughs> you would think that I pull and I believe in the smaller goaltenders. The answer to that question is actually the opposite. Um, I, I like size, right? Um, and so that's where, well, Peter Morozik, who we just talked about, I'm a big believer in Peter right. for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to get into those now. I will get into why I, I really have become a believer in Alex Nedeljkovic. Um, he, there is truly economy of motion, and it is half of the one preseason game he played this year. And even watching in practice, as you and I did, the one inner squad, he was flawless. Yeah, it was just a situation where uh, if Reimer, uh, unless he was going to play himself out of the job, and Forsberg then, uh, with NHL experience, was going to play himself out of consideration, then Nadalkovic, you know, at the end of the day, it's a contractual decision. And he goes to a one-way contract next year. Um, at least that's the way I see it. Yeah. So those guys didn't play themselves out of a job. And so, you know, Alex Ndelkovic, after winning a Calder Cup and coming up with his only NHL win, which was a very important win. Yep. I think it's the first win in Vancouver since John Forson and I have started working together um, at the right before the All-Star break in the bye week last year. Uh, you know, that's why things went the way they did for him in training camp and I'm sure that ticked him off, and I don't blame him for that. You know, that, that he went down, and I think that that probably contributed to the fact that he had a, a, a tough October yeah. um, in the American Hockey League, and his numbers in November 
I know he just had a hiccup in the last uh, week, I, I believe, but his numbers in November were off the charts. So mm-hmm. as you ask me that really good question, and I'm not blowing smoke saying it, AJ, you always do. Here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that it doesn't stunt his growth because he's having to deal with adversity, personal adversity of doing everything that was asked of him to take the step to being an NHL backup and winning a Calder Cup uh, in, in taking full advantage of his one NHL start and coming in and in limited, uh, uh, limited availability and exposure, having really a perfect training camp, but then dealing with adversity, things that are really out of his control, having to go to the American Hockey League on a team that is nowhere near as good as they were last year in Charlotte, in my opinion, and now he's having to deal with that adversity and it looks like he's getting through it when you look at what he did in October to November, um, that once you do get through that, if you do, because it's usually a fork in the road, you go one of two ways, mm-hmm. it will make you mentally stronger and tougher for the long haul. So based on that circumstance, it makes me say that, no, this is not a lost year from from any standpoint uh, for Nadelkovic, that, uh, that this, in fact, will benefit him if he continues to utilize the adversity in the proper manner that he seems to be so far. Yeah, and we also always seem to assume uh, good health for everyone. Peter Mrazek had three bouts of, I guess it was a groin injury a year ago, and if that surfaces with either Peter or with James Reimer, uh, then I don't think there's any question that Alex Nedeljkovic will get his turn. I've always thought that going into the season, based on conversations with Don Waddell, uh, that I, I know the initial plan was to bring back Peter and Curtis and also utilize Nedeljkovic in some manner, that the numbers that they were thinking about were probably in the neighborhood of you know, 45, 30, and then the balance for Nedeljkovic, and we'll see how it all uh, plays out. All right, let's pause here real quick, and then when we come back with Trip Tracy, the television and radio analyst of the Carolina Hurricanes, it'll be about the layer just in front of the goaltender, specifically to two players. All right, let's pick it up with Trip Tracy, television and radio analyst of the Carolina Hurricanes, and talk about two guys that are in similar situations, or at least were in similar situations. And this is specifically about Jake Gardner before we talk about some of the uh, the accolades that should be bestowed on other guys. Um, and at Rally, this will be, I guess, between – this will be about Gardner and, to an extent, Dougie Hamilton. Um, what is the difference between the first part of this year and Jake Gardner's assimilation into Carolina style and Dougie Hamilton's a year ago? Dougie Hamilton um, has a stronger skill set, and Dougie Hamilton is, a, I think, a significantly better skater than Jake Gardner. Uh, so those are the differences. Um, the similarities are that uh, you never want to be in a situation, um, even if you're a veteran guy, as both guys were and are in Hamilton uh, and Gardner, um, where you're thinking about where you should be on the ice as opposed to just reacting. And so that's the systematic change that is the common denominator for both guys. Um, you know, I, I have spoken at length with Dean Chanel because um, mm-hmm. I remember a year ago at this point, and things were not going well for Dougie Hamilton. No. Early December. Not well at all. And um, I thought Dean really did a fine job, not just within the season, 
But then at the, at the tail end, when, you know, after Dougie had a great second half, um, that things did not go well against his former team in the Boston Bruins. The Dean talked to a lot of people inside the game of hockey, outside of the game of hockey, with the sole purpose of finding a way to get the best out of a defenseman with that much talent. Remember when Paul Maurice was here, he always ticked me off because as close of friends as I am with Paul, Paul never showed his true personality, I believe, with the media and with the fans especially. Right. Um, and I think that did, he did a disservice to himself uh, by doing that. Okay, that's a, that's a tangent that we're not going to get into. <laughs> but, but, AG, you know, Paul said to me at one point, you know, because of our friendship, he said, Tripp, I learned very early on, wherever I am, wherever I'm coaching, I am the coach and the general manager is the general manager. I coach the players that the general manager gives me. I don't, you know, publicly say, you know, these are the players I want um, and try to do the general manager's job. And I personally believe that uh, the two biggest culprits of that, of uh, trying to be a manager as a coach are Mike Babcock and Bill Peters. Right. Um, But with that being said, Okay, I give Dean a lot of credit because his job was with Dougie Hamilton. His job is with Jake Gardner to consistently, and if it requires countless, infinite ways, different approaches to get the very best out of the potential in this player. player. That's his job. And, of course, obviously that's the job of head coach Rob Brindamore. I also think that Donnie Waddell did a really fine job uh, in the exit meetings last year when Dougie had had a good second half, but it had a couple of tough moments in the playoffs Yeah, that he really challenged Dougie to be more physical, more competitive. And that's exactly what, and, and Dougie then responded to both his general manager and his coaches and said, you know what? I want to be an elite defenseman. I want to kill penalties. And they said, okay, we're going to give you that opportunity. And he's run with that opportunity. How does that apply to Jake Gardner? Well, the coaching part of it does. Because Dean Chanel, I guarantee you, AG, will continue to go with the same approach of not turning on Jake, but trying new ways each and every day to get Jake Gardner to be the guy that he was when he was a confident player in Toronto, to be an offensive defenseman that he hasn't been at all. Yeah. And that's what, that's what magnifies his mistake last night that, that, that cost the Hurricanes the game, is that if Jake was putting numbers up. And if he was an offensive mm-hmm. difference maker at five on five and on that power play unit that he's featured on, then, you know, there's a bit of give and take. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened. So that only amplifies that, you know, that mistake that he made. He's at the end of a shift, time and place, tight hockey game. Right. You just need to live to fight for another day. Um, but, you know, I would, I think it's a very good comparison from the standpoint that I think Dean, cause he runs the defense and one of the things that's great about Roddy, and there are many, is that when he delegates, whether it be a special teams department or he gives his defenseman to the guy that runs the defense, he gives that guy just about complete autonomy. And I think that that is a big part of why Dougie Hamilton has taken the steps he has this year that Dean Chanel constantly, you know, constantly kept thinking about uh, acquiring information to try to get the best out of this player. And I'm sure he'll do the same with Gardner. The only difference I see is I don't see uh, Gardner being anywhere near as good of a skater as, as Hamilton is. And, you know, he doesn't have – he has excellent offensive skills, but, you know, Dougie's are elite. 
Yeah, well, Doug, Dougie Hamilton, and uh, I like to jokingly call him Douglas Jonathan uh, Hamilton Jr. because that's that's I guess his uh, his real name. But man, I mean, he's going to be an All Star this year, and he has he has been a great player. He's he's upped his game defensively. Uh, he mentioned, I guess, to Gene uh, in the exit interviews that he wanted to kill penalties. Well, he's doing a pretty good job of killing penalties. I mean, he's not slaving and pesci in that department, but I mean, he's pretty good. Uh, he's, and, and his mobility is obviously very useful. But I can't help but be more impressed, as impressed as I am with the stuff on the ice, and he's been amazing. I'm more impressed with the stuff off the ice of Dougie Hamilton because I think those two things go hand in hand, especially in this organization with the young players that have been brought on. That, to me, is the difference in Dougie Hamilton this year and last year. I give I, – I, I once again concur, um, and I give – you know who I give a, a, a lot of credit to? The Hurricanes fans. <laughs> oh, my gosh, <laughs> and, yes. And I'll t- and I'll, yeah, and it's because – you know, Dougie is every every player has a different personality, and Dougie's one of those guys. He's got antennas, and so when you know in Boston or Calgary, when the fans turn on him, he can feel it. He's a very caring person. He's, yeah. To be honest with you, he's very decent. <laughs> and yes. so the times that fans have chanted his name, um, he can feel that, and that makes him, I think, feel that much more comfortable. That much more confident, um, and so that's why I say it. I'm not, I'm not trying to run a PR campaign with the, the, the Hurricanes fan base, but I think it, it actually is consequential in the way that he's playing. Yeah. I think this is a perfect market for him, and 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 I will tell you uh, that I did think last night, AG. I don't know if you saw the same thing uh, on television and on the radio, listening on the radio, but the I thought he was noticeably more confident. Um, in Boston Mm -hmm. than certainly in the two games there in the playoffs and the two games there last year, last night. The one chink in his armors, I didn't think his power play unit was very good. But he easily could have been the difference in that game. He had that great chance jumping in on the rush in the second period. He was a good part of those two uh, Hurricanes kills in the first period. Scotty Bowman was at the the Hurricanes win in Tampa on Saturday night, and I talked to him on Sunday, and and he said, Trev, What's going on with Dougie Hamilton? <laughs> His competitive nature yeah. hasn't just gone up a notch or two. It's gone up three or four. Um, and I agree with you um, that he just continues to be a more comfortable, confident hurricane on and off the ice. And I give the fans a lot of credit because I think they're a part of that. Yeah, I, I, I look, when uh, the first time he did an interview with Mike Maniscalco after the game, after being the first star, and the fans started the Dougie, Dougie uh, chant, uh, you could tell. You could tell it got to him in a positive way. And that uh, he is, I, I agree, I think he's perfect for the market. And I I think that the negotiations on a new contract will happen this offseason. And I don't think it will be as contentious as other negotiations have been for, uh, for Tom Dundon and a player. I think this will be a lot easier. I think Dougie has realized... That it's the the market, the fans, his friends. I mean, I love the relationship that he's got with Andrei Svechnikov and Warren Fogle. I think those things are mutually beneficial uh, to both players. I really do. And I've been uh, and and now to the game as you as you pointed out. 
I mean, Dougie's just been amazing. It's a completely different player than we saw a year ago. It's a player who's defensively responsible like 98% of the time. And uh, I've I've purpose, you know, really enjoyed uh, all of that. A couple of more things before we uh, before we have to say goodbye to Trip Tracy, uh, Hurricanes uh, radio and television analyst. So yesterday, there is a quote from Don Waddell, and I know you guys used it in the broadcast, about the possibility of Justin Williams returning. I know Rod Brindamore addressed it in practice today, uh, and it almost seems like an inevitability that it's going to happen. Um, what are your thoughts on what that would mean, assuming that it does happen? And we have to be another month away from it even happening anyway. Uh, but what do you think that would mean to this team? Well, off the ice, AG, I like the chemistry of this group for a bunch of new faces on a team that went to the Eastern Conference Finals. And that's something I've been watching closely. Um, but Justin provides another level of credibility mm-hmm. and accountability, more importantly. If a guy is not playing the game properly at a given time, you know Justin very, very well. Yeah. And you know within the confines of that locker room, he's going to tell that guy. Okay? And, you know, so if your top player is cheating and he's on the defensive side of the puck, or sorry, not on the defensive side of the puck. Justin's going to tell him in the locker room in a way that nobody else can with his street cred, with his three Stanley Cup championships. <laughs> um, so that's off the ice. On the ice, of course, it's a huge challenge hitting the moving train that is the National Hockey League. Mm-hmm. But So that'll be a big challenge for him. I, I, on the actual power play, when Rod always talks about matching up, you know, your right and left shots, they don't have any righties, AG. <laughs> I know, and so, the only one they have is Nature's, and he's hurt, and we need to get—they need yeah, to get him back. Exactly. Okay, so you know, and when I, I talked to Rod, you know, in the, in the pregame show, uh, yes, before yesterday's game, about why the many things why Boston's power play is the very definition of elite, and he talked about after he talked about Krug lugging the pup up the ice and how good he is with entries in a variety of different ways. He talked about the shots matching up. Right. And the Hurricanes' power play has been improved this year. So that's a good sign. But Rod knows the shots don't match up. Right. And so, Justin, even if he, hypothetically, um, if, there's an adju- if he comes back and there's an adjustment to the pace of the NHL, we all know he's never been fast. Right. So, uh, you know, it's not something that I worry that much about i do think he would provide certainly more options and a good chance um a more dangerous power play just by the the simple fact that he's the right shot Mm -hmm. uh and then i think his biggest contribution uh would be that accountability in the room because at different times and it's human nature i have seen situations this year where Guys will cheat for, for offense mm-hmm. instead of being on the defensive side of the puck. As a matter of fact, truthfully, I mean, Sebastian Ajo had a very, very productive November. I mean, he was right there mm-hmm. at the, the top of the league with regards to goals scored. And I've been scratching my head today because Sebastian, at a couple of pivotal times in the game last night, he reached. Yeah. You know, he was cheating for offense. And 
I, I remember years ago, AG, when, when Eric Stahl did the same thing. And I'm a big advocate and believer that you actually, when you make sure you establish the defensive side, the right side of the puck, and the coaches turns first, you actually create more offense, and you certainly help your team more. So Justin's the kind of guy, and I'm not trying to jump on Sebastian. It is just that it, it struck me on two different occasions last night. Justin's the kind of guy in the room, if it's any guy on the roster, if he's reaching, if he's cheating, he's going to say, you can't do that. And he has mm-hmm. obviously the credentials and resume that they're going to listen. And so I, I like the chemistry on this club, but I think that would be a big added boost in the locker room if and when he decides to come back. And then um, on the ice, it's it's unpredictable because of the fast-moving train the league is. But being a right shot, certainly right. – is a very intriguing uh, element of it. And one of the uh, one of the situations you're referring to with Sebastian Ajo last night was on the second goal, a minute eight after uh, Boston made it one nothing after the Gardner turnover at the offensive blue line. Uh, Sebastian kind of was thought maybe we're going to get the puck started to head up the ice, and his guy David Krejci went to the front of the net, and that was the deflection. Um, all right, let's uh, let's close on this. This also pertains to Williams and an impact. What kind of an impact will it have on Jordan Stahl, um, who is this? He's always the same guy, uh, but I I can't help but think that this would be really helpful to Jordan to have Justin back in the locker room. I, I agree. Uh, and I think that's pretty darn astute on your part because a lot of captains would look at it and threatened isn't the right word, but different is, you know, because you, you not just would have your captain of last year coming back, but you'd have a guy that, uh, you know, is Mr. Game 7 and his, his persona and everything that encompasses that. Uh, Jordan Stahl... I think has actually become as captain more eloquent than he's been more mm-hmm. candid than he's been at any other time in his Carolina career, AG, but that's not his forte, right? His forte, his defining moment of being a captain so far, in my view is after Tampa made that three, two, and it got really dicey Saturday night. <laughs> it was those two or three shifts late in the game where Jordan Stahl went out with confidence and composure, playing the game properly, and got that thing home. Yeah, that's that's his, and that's that's the type of captain he is. That's why Rod chose him because he doesn't take any shortcuts. Mm-hmm. He's such a decent, quality human being, um, and you know he was surprised that the entire team showed up at his house when he invited him over for Thanksgiving. Doesn't <laughs> surprise me at all when you think of the caliber of just genuine, authentic person. Right. Jordan is. Who knows? Maybe it's because his weather, his his wife Heather makes a particularly good turkey, and the players knew that. How many but, turkeys were cooked? Well, there, there are a lot of turkeys there, right? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, so all of these. So Jordan is just a, a he really he's a gentle giant off the ice in terms of the kind of good person he is, but on the ice he is a leader in action in the way he plays the game, the way he practices. I asked, we were in Chicago recently, and 
you know, we had to bus over actually the guys and their equipment from the United Center with Hawks play to the new Hawks practice facility. It was a quick practice. So we're getting back on the bus after pra- practice. I said to Rod, hey, by the way, Rod, who do you think are your best consistent practice players with their habits? First guy, he said Jordan Stahl. He mentioned Jacob Slavin, too. Um, so if Justin Williams comes back, there will not even be a small percentage right. of Jordan Stahl that gets rattled. And he will, as like I said, you astutely mentioned, he would welcome uh, his captain of last year back with open arms. And it might even take his leadership, uh, that being Jordan's, to another level. Um, I've been impressed with Jordan because so far as captain, he's not trying to be somebody he's not. Mm -hmm. He's not trying to be Justin Williams. Um, And we all get in trouble in life if we ever try to be somebody we're not. So I think uh, if if Williams comes back, it will only help Jordan uh, like you anticipate. Trip Tracy, you're uh, you're a wonderful human being. I thank you very much for uh, for devoting some of your. Uh, I guess this is a Wednesday afternoon to uh, to doing this. So I appreciate it. We'll be watching and listening tomorrow night uh, on Thursday night when the Hurricanes take on uh, Hurricanes legend Patrick Marlowe and the San Jose Sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, AG. Yeah, Marlowe, boy, I'll never forget his time. Oh my, I can't, I can't wait for the video tribute for uh, for Marlowe's <laughs> return. It should be fantastic. Thank you, my friend. I'm looking forward to that first-round pick. Hopefully that, that'll be a guy we talk about for a long time. Uh, they're going to need that. Thank you very much, Trip. Appreciate it. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast.